All right, good morning, everybody. You guys doing good? What we're talking about today, we're moving on. Uh, Again, we're in the book of Romans. If you remember, or if you weren't here last week, you can go on our website. You can check out our podcasts on Google Play or iTunes and catch up. But last week, we were in chapter 6. In chapter 6, the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time trying to explain to us, obviously, and he has been throughout the, the book so far, he's been talking about our justification and our righteousness, okay, and how that is not through anything that we do or we work for or how good we are, how talented we are, that that is a gift from God. But then towards the end of this last chapter that we talked about, he starts talking about justification, not justification, I'm sorry, about sanctification. Sanctification is a process, It's a process of us working towards what God had planned for us. And really, the definition of it is to be set apart and holy, but the dictionary definition is to be used for your intended purpose. So if we put those things together, as we work towards this process of sanctification, it's because God has declared us righteous. He has declared us innocent and the price has been paid by Jesus. So since we have that as a starting point, then we start working towards this process of sanctification, which is a return to the purpose that God has always had for us. Okay, And it's that purpose that the enemy tries to steal away. He tries to steal that away from us every single day. And we'll have days where things are going great, and we feel like we're, we're winning more than we're losing, and we're going forward, and things are wonderful. And then we'll have days where we just seem like, man, I made nothing but bad decisions today. It was just a constant train wreck all day long. And so how do we justify this in our minds? This idea that, yeah, the Word says that if we give our hearts to Christ, we are renewed, we're a renewed being, we're doing baptisms, and we, you, know, you come up out of the water and you are literally born again, a new creation in Christ. So why does this new creation in Christ, this renewed mind, why do we still struggle with some of the same things that we've always struggled with? It's one of the things that can really trip up a new Christian, somebody that's just given their heart to the Lord. They'll walk out, they're excited, they're just electric with anticipation of what this new life is going to look like, and what they find out a little bit later in the same day, uh, hey, it looks kind of like yesterday did, because I'm struggling with the same things. I don't automatically have this fantastic new life that I'm walking into. We struggle with the same things, and so this is where the Apostle Paul starts out chapter 7. So he ends chapter 6 by saying that this process is, a, is an ongoing struggle with the will and the flesh, okay? The mind and the flesh. The two natures, literally, of man, the renewed mind, and yet the flesh, and how it's always going to be a struggle. And that can seem to be a little bit, can be a downer. Right? I've just I've given my heart to Christ. I'm following, I'm studying, I'm doing the things I'm gonna do, and you're telling me that I'm always gonna be struggling? Yes. That's what I'm telling you, but it's not just me. That's what the word of God says, is that yes, there will always be a struggle. And so we're gonna go into chapter seven where Paul really talks about the role of of, of the dual natures that we have, and specifically about the role that the law plays 
in that nature. So the first scripture that we have, Romans 7, 1 to 3. Now keep in mind what he's talking about, the struggle of the two natures and, 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 uh, and dying to sin and those things. And here's how he starts out chapter 7, 1 to 3. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. All right, who here knows exactly how that ties into the dual nature and the struggle of... Okay, if you're like me, you're kind of like, hmm, why does he go into this when we're supposed to be talking about the struggle of the will against the fleshly nature of man and the renewed mind. It really doesn't seem to make sense, right? And this is one of the things we have to know when we're reading the word and we're studying the word. Now, a lot of people will pull out this section and they'll use that to to study the issue of divorce and remarriage. Okay, they pull that out a lot. But that's not what this is for. Paul's not, this isn't meant to be an entire essay on how God feels about divorce and remarriage and the laws that applies to that and this. Paul's using this as an illustration, okay? He teaches in other, other places, Paul has taught extensively about divorce and remarriage. So that's where we go to study that topic if we're wanting to know all the ins and outs. What he's doing here is he's calling our attention to a principle, a principle that illustrates what he's trying to talk about. And what he's saying here is that just as this woman, if her husband dies, she is freed from that in order to then go and join to another man. So when our old self dies, we are free to be joined to Jesus. Okay, and this is kind of the point that he's trying to make here. And you have to follow along. Now, he's using this illustration of death and divorce to make his point about our being united to Christ. You've heard that we're called the bride of Christ, right? And so this is the illustration that he's using. We always have to be aware of the reason that he says, or in any scripture, that it talks about certain things as illustrations. Not always meant to be an in-depth teaching. So he goes into the next very scripture here. So it's Romans 7, 4 is the very next one. Therefore, so keeping in mind those previous ideas, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, so this is where we are. This is where we are. So just as that widow was now, since her husband died, she was free to remarry, Okay, the believer is now free from the law, from the restraints and the shackles of the law, and is now free to join together with Christ. Okay, does that make sense? That's why he's talking about that illustration in that way. All right, and then he goes right on, though. Romans 7, 5, I've got this one, too. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Okay, so for while we were in the flesh, so he's talking about 
prior, prior to the renewed mind, okay, in many ways, even though this is still a struggle. But look at that, which are sinful passions which were aroused by the law. So that's an interesting thought. Our sinful passions were actually aroused and, and made even more of a, of a yearning, of more of an issue by the law itself. Now that, that sounds odd because isn't the law, doesn't somewhere else in scripture it say that the law was there as our guardian? The law was there to protect us until Jesus could come and fulfill the law. So how then, Paul, he's not asking the question, he's saying flat out, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? So let's look at it a little bit more. So we think the law is there to protect us. So the very next verse, this is 7.5, so the next one is 7.6. I've got this one, I'll read it to you. It says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, so imagine you're hearing Paul talk about this. You would start to think, okay, so the law itself is sinful. The law itself is old and outdated. And in many ways, the law itself is the root of the problem then. It can seem like that's what he's teaching, right? The law itself is the problem. The law itself is what causes all these things. So this is kind of what he's what it seems like he's alluding to, but then you follow his train of thought. Remember, Paul's writing a letter, and he's thinking through, okay? And he may be in his mind, I envision in his mind, he's saying, okay, they're gonna start thinking that the next thing I'm gonna say is, so therefore, forget about everything that was ever in the law, because that might, that'd be the logical conclusion based on what he's saying here. He doesn't say that. He goes this, Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Then Paul's favorite phrase, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, thou shalt not or you shalt not covet. So he's saying the law itself is what helps to see what's right and wrong, but also where you're falling short. In other words, the law really sets what is the divine standard, okay? And as we know, there's no way that we're going to reach the divine standard. But he's saying here that that standard exists, and it exists for a reason, because we would not have known what sin was. And knowing is half the battle, okay? How many people know the battle that you're most likely to lose is the one you don't even realize that you're in? If you don't know you're in a battle, you're going to lose it 10 times out of 10. The law serves to let us know that we do fall short. We do fall short. Now, notice something interesting here, and you'll find it through the rest of chapter 7. Paul switches to the first person, the personal pronoun, I. Prior to this, it's we and you and they and our fathers and things like this is to kind of envelop everybody. He switches at this point to saying, I would not have, I would not have. He brings it back on himself. 
And I want you to pay attention as he goes through the rest of this. He's teaching, yes, and he's teaching them very important issues, but he's internalizing it. He's saying, hey, here's what I deal with, which sometimes can be out, bless you, can be sometimes out of what we think about the Apostle Paul. How many of us think of the Apostle Paul as like, okay, since the time he was born, he was smart, he was a good student, and he was a zealous student, and he grew up, and he learned the word, and all these things, and then, of course, then he had his epiphany with Jesus and his meeting, and, and now he's this, and we just, like, elevate him, right, to where he's this really super holy guy. Think about that image you have of him as we go through this, okay? So... Very next one, a very next uh, scripture here, Romans 7, 8, he says this, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, through the law, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Sin produced in me coveting of every kind. He's saying, hey, before I knew the law, I was doing just fine. At least I thought I was. But once I knew the law, once I knew what I should and shouldn't do, now it produces in me coveting of every kind. Now, I don't think he's saying coveting is his only sin. But it's the idea that once you know what you shouldn't do, there's something in our flesh that says, I want to do that. Am I right? Knowing what the law is, knowing what the law says, just produces a thing in us that wants to, wants to put our toe over the yellow line, right? We just do. It's our, it's our nature. It's in there. So let's talk, about, let's talk about what this conflict is, this conflict between the renewed man, the born-again man, the one with the Holy Spirit in you who can testify to what is true and correct and good, and then the flesh, the fleshly nature that is always going to be there until we reach heaven and we receive our new bodies that are then going to be free from, from that battle against sin. But until then, it's something that we have to deal with. And again, knowing that you're in a battle helps you have a chance to win it. Because if we don't understand that it's there, we're going to lose it. So he goes on, Romans 7, 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the, when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. He's literally saying that the law is what killed him. In other words, again, I was, I was doing just fine before I knew the law, but once I knew, I couldn't stop myself. How many of us do that kind of thing? How many of us exhibit that sort of behavior in our daily life? When faced with a choice between right and wrong, okay, maybe we could call it good and evil because really at its base, if it's God-ordained, it's good. And if it's not, it's evil. And we want to be in that place where every step we take is ordained and approved and, and righteous before God. We want to be in that place. But how many times do we say, well, I'm just a little wrong? And that's okay. It's okay if I'm just a little wrong. How many of us have said some form or another of these kind of statements to ourselves, okay? Number one, it doesn't hurt anyone, okay? This is when you're thinking about breaking a little law or a little rule or doing something a little that you know you shouldn't, okay? It doesn't hurt anyone. No one will know. Who says that? 
No one will know if I do this. There's nobody around. How about this? It's a dumb law anyway. It's a dumb law anyway. I'm sure it was meant for another time, another place. Certainly not for me here now today. How about this? It's no big deal. What's it going to hurt? Or just this once, since blank, since I'm in a hurry, since I don't feel well, since I'm late, since, since whatever the fill in the blank, whatever your thing is. How many of us have said some variation of that kind of a thing to ourselves to justify why we are about to premeditatively break a rule, break a law? Even if that law is the one written on your heart and you know it's not right. Nobody is pointing at you. It's not written down on a no trespassing sign in front of you, but it's written on your heart. And you know it, and you say, I'm going to break it anyway. How many of us do things like that? So let me, let me throw out some examples. If, you, if you're like, I've never said any of those things. I've never done that. I've never said any of those things. I pulled up on the internet. I went and I searched out the 10 most common, and I think I left one off because I think I only have nine, but the most commonly broken laws in the United States. The most commonly broken laws, and here's, here's a list, okay? Number one, speed limits. Okay, number one. Yes, Kevin. Kevin's back there. I can give you all 10 right now. Speed limits. How many of you, if you're driving on a road, especially one that there's hardly anybody around, or you could be going down I-25 in the middle of rush hour, speed limit says 65. I'm going 67. I'm going 68. Or you've heard that thing, well, if you're not going 10 over, they won't stop you. Okay. So I'm doing the math in my head. I'll go eight over because that gives me a cushion. Does any of us, and you don't have to raise your hand because I know there are a few of you here who say if the speed limit says 55, I'm going 55. And if I'm going over, I'm hitting the brakes and I'm going to slow down. Okay. There are those people out there. I don't know any of them, <laughs> but there are those people. What I do is I go 55, okay, 58, 65, okay, 69. It's just our human nature. But think about if you had a car, no speedometer, and you're driving in a place with no speed limits. What would you do? Chances are we'd all be driving that much slower because that feels it feels safe, okay, and unless you're in some kind of major hurry. That would be where we would naturally settle in. But as soon as you put a sign there governing how fast you're supposed to go and an indicator to tell you where you are, now we want to push that boundary a little bit. It's just our nature. It's what we do. So that's one. Next one, dog leash laws. Okay, I am the most guilty in the room about this, and Gabe will tell you. You go to a park, the park says dogs must be kept on leash all the time. It's clear. My thought is, there's nobody around. There are no other dogs around. I love my dog. I want him to be able to go and run, and I'm certainly not going to go run with him. Right? So, click, there you go. Have at it. Run. I am knowingly breaking that law. 
But I think a lot of us probably do the same kind of thing. Who's it going to hurt? If I see somebody come, I see another dog, I'll put him back on the leash. We'll be fine. I have still decided in my mind that I'm going to intentionally break that law. Okay, next one, jaywalking. Okay, sharing medication. Sharing medication. I've got some prescription uh, painkillers or I've got some prescription allergy medicine and you're really suffering, try one of these. Okay? There are many who do that. Uh, Texting while driving or just in the category being distracted while driving. Could be, you know... I'm sure Kevin has seen some things, but I have where, where Kevin's in state patrol, by the way, in case you don't know. That's why I keep, I'm not like chief among sinners. That's, I'm not. Because he knows because he sees these things, okay? I've seen people eating a bowl of cereal for breakfast as they drive, okay? Might not be an express law against eating cereal, but I'm pretty sure that it's covered there some way. How about stealing Wi-Fi? Stealing Wi-Fi, okay, I'm in a place, oh look, I can log on to their network, okay. I'll do that. Um, underage drinking, okay. Now it might not mean you're gonna give alcohol to a little kid, but what about, ah, oh, it's your 17th birthday and we're home. Go ahead and have, it's still illegal. It's still illegal. Or if you're like me, you're pushing that boundary when you are 17 or, you know, um, littering. And then the last one and the one that I'm guilty of, you take two looks around as you're driving and you're coming up to a stop sign while there's nobody around. I'm just going to roll this one. I give it the effort. I slow down. Don't groan at me unless you've never done it. Oh, man. (laughs) But it's that thing that, like, I'm going to break this law. I'm knowingly, willingly going to break this law, whatever it is, even though I know it's wrong. But in my mind, I've decided it doesn't apply to me right now for whatever reason. Our new Broncos coach, Nick Fangio, had a quote where he said, we are not going to be a team that that uh, suffers from death by inches. You heard that quote? Death by inches. It's actually from Shakespeare. It's not, so if you thought Nick Fangio was like this old school, not so, he's quoting Shakespeare in his, he's a smart guy. But the idea is those little things that we don't think hurt us. And we willingly say, okay, I'm not gonna work as hard as I should. I'm not going to do this as well as I should. I'm not going to this, this, this. But it's just little things. They add up. And eventually, eventually, we die. We die a spiritual death because we've allowed all these areas to creep into our lives. And we've let it happen because we think it doesn't matter. And pretty soon, all these things, they matter because they affect your heart. So you're not alone. If that's you and you're anywhere on that scale, you're not alone. Paul himself. Remember I told you to think about how you feel about Paul and who he is as a person, right? I put him on a pretty high pedestal, I'll be honest with you, but he struggled with this idea too. Romans 7.15, he says this, and again, this is about him. He writes this about 
himself. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Okay, and he repeats that idea a couple different ways in this, and you may have seen it in different translations different ways, but the fact is, I know what I'm supposed to do, then why do I find myself doing the thing I don't want to do? I don't want to, but I find myself doing it anyway. You can just hear the, the lament in his voice, like, I, I know what I should do. I know what feels good. I know what the Holy Spirit's telling me, and yet I find myself doing it anyway, and I don't know why. He's just in this place. But then, then he goes into this very next scripture, and he kind of shifts the idea a little bit to this. Romans 7, 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Kind of sounds like he's shifting the blame here a little bit, right? I'm not responsible. It's sin's doing it, not me. I'm better than that. It's sin doing it. Now, why do you think he he even says that? It's true, it's the sin that's in him that causes him to do this, but he seems to clearly be drawing a, a delineation between I and sin. Even though they both live inside his body, he's saying, well, there's I and there's sin. Two different things. And it's not my fault, it's sin's fault. I'll tell you why he's saying this is because there's a very, now remember, This church, I've taught a couple times, but if you missed it, the concept at that time in that place, calling yourself a Greek. If you call yourself a Greek, you're identifying with the the elite culture, the educated culture, the, the philosophers, okay? So even though you may not be Greek by language or heritage, you'd call yourself a Greek because I'm one of the elite. At least you like to think of yourself that way. So they identified with that uh, Greek philosophy, things like this, were things that they studied and they discussed, and it was a normal part of what they did. What he's doing here, Paul is actually alluding to this Greek philosophy called dualism. Okay, now listen to this carefully because it's a fine degree, but it's an important degree. The Greek philosophy of dualism, and it still exists today, but it was very big then, says this. It says that the human being is made up of two distinct parts, okay? There is the physical, okay, and they applied it to animals and buildings. Anything that existed in the physical realm was inherently evil. Inherently evil could not in any way do anything good in itself. It just existed, and it was bad, meaning their fleshly bodies were bad inherently, okay? So other than the fact that trees and dogs and animals, you know, are included in that, we're like, okay, our our fleshly bodies are fallen and they are sinful. But then they said, the spiritual realm that exists in your mind, that's the only thing that is good and pure, okay? Not only can it be, but it is, So what they would do is right in the middle of the most debauchery that they could possibly manage, feasts and orgies and anything else they were doing, what they would say is, this is my fleshly body doing this. So not only is it okay, but it's it's to be expected that the fleshly body would do that. But I can't be blamed for my actions because I'm up here. I'm above. 
I'm in the spiritual realm up above all this, just observing what my fleshly body is doing and thereby absolving them of any blame for anything that they ever physically did here on this earth. Because not only couldn't they help it, it was the way of things. It's just how it's done. But they, meanwhile, were intelligent and spiritual and so much better than that because they separated. So this is why Paul brings out that concept because it's one they were struggling with at the time. And he's trying to illustrate to them. So it seems like, it seems like he's in this place where, where he is kind of shifting the blame a little bit or at least it's a little bit... Um, He's kind of softening the blow, saying, hey, I'm not responsible because. But the very next, if you start thinking that he's, that he's doing that or using it as an out, he goes right back, very next scripture, and he acknowledges his guilt. Romans 7:18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For the willing is present. The willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. I want to do good. He's not saying it's okay with me that I do evil things. It's okay with me that I do bad things. It's just the way it is. He's saying the willing is there. The willing is there, but the doing is somehow missing. How does that happen? You can see. You can see the anguish that's starting to rise up in him. Now, this is a man, again, I've put him on a pedestal. I think a lot of you probably have too. But he's saying here, I, it's not just one thing I struggle with. I struggle with a lot of things. And here I am. I'm supposed to be this apostle of Jesus Christ traveling around, teaching and spreading the gospel and doing all these things. And I'm supposed to be an authority. And I'm, I'm supposed to be the one that everybody looks to as an example. And I can't manage. The very next scripture very next scripture, actually it's a couple, but it's, it's the very next thought. Romans 7, 24, he says this. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The apostle Paul, and he writes this in a letter. This isn't just a thought that he has. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Follow his thinking here. I have done everything. I know what I should do. I've met Jesus. And I'm still a wretched human being because I can't win this battle, this constant struggle between what I know and what I do. He can't win. But immediately after doing that, then he gives thanks. He turns around, gives thanks. Romans 7, 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, within my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So he recognizes that this is his nature, and this is the way that it's going to be. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He struggles with these things. But I want to let you know... And Paul has, is sitting here saying that he struggles with these things. We have a choice. We always have a choice, and our mind is always going to be aware of what we're doing. And therein, also, in addition to the battle, lies our victory. So you remember back in the, in the story where Judas 
is betraying Jesus. Okay, think about that story. Judas is betraying Jesus. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He hung around with him. He knew him, and he had made the bad choice to betray Jesus. Okay, he had laid the groundwork for it. He had met with people in secret. He had been paid for it. He had made plans to, to, you know, with signals and all these things. He had really gone down the road of planning to betray Jesus. We all know that, right? Okay, basic for that story. But what a lot of times gets overlooked in Scripture is that moment. That moment when Jesus says, they're asking him, who's going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, it's the one to whom I give this bread, right? And so he walks up and he gives the bread to Judas. At that point, at that moment, you freeze frame that moment, Judas had made every bad decision you could possibly made. He had purposed in his heart to betray Jesus Christ. He had taken money for it. He was despicable and low at that point. But at that point, he had the choice still to reach out and take that and thus consummate and knowingly fulfill what he was going to do. Or he could have said, you know what? No. I'm not doing this. Now, he had already set things in motion, so maybe it would have happened anyway. But what we do know is the very next scripture after Judas took the bread. Anybody know what the word says? At that point, Satan entered into him. He knowingly did something. He not only made the plans, he not only set things in motion, but he followed through with given the ultimate choice, staring his Lord and Savior in the face, and he made that choice. I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do this. And the word says Satan entered into him. Church, we have a choice. We have a choice between good and evil, between honoring the flesh and honoring the, new, the renewed mind, the born-again man that Jesus Christ died to give us. And so when you listen to this, we know, okay, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard. We have a choice. We're going to fail probably more often than not. Again, Paul, wretched creature that I am. He recognizes this, but let me tell you where the victory lies. Let me tell you where the victory lies. The victory lies in the fact that you recognize that you're doing it. You recognize that you're thinking the way that you shouldn't think. You recognize that I'm about to, or I am, or I just did something I shouldn't have done. At whatever point you recognize that what you're doing is operating in the sins of the flesh versus the renewed mind of Jesus Christ, at the moment you recognize that, that is a victorious moment because your flesh in itself will never recognize that. Your flesh in itself will follow the path that feels good and that feels right, and there will never even be a twinkle in your mind that something's amiss. Church, it's victory when the renewed mind inside of you recognizes that there is a virus. There's a virus in the form of sinful thoughts. Maybe those thoughts have turned into action. But at whatever point you recognize it, that's the point that you have victory over that. Now comes our choice. Do I say, this is wrong, 
and it feels good and I'm doing it anyway. That's when we lose. That's when we lose. That's when we can say, I struggle with this thing and I lost to that thing. Whatever your thing is. Struggling is part of our Christian life. We are going to struggle with these thoughts. We are going to struggle with the nature of the sinful fallen flesh. We're going to struggle. But church, consider it victory when you see it and you do something about it. Because that's what conviction looks like. Condemnation comes from the devil. Condemnation is saying, you're broken, you're always gonna be broken, why even try, just go do what feels good. That's condemnation. Conviction, some people call it sweet conviction, but when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't always feel sweet. Conviction is saying, I see what I'm doing. I'm seeing that that's not glorifying God. That's operating in the flesh, and that is not right. And I'm gonna do something about it. That's what conviction is, and that's where our victory in Jesus Christ lies. And that he is giving you everything that you need. Everything you need to identify the lies and the schemes of the enemy. In other words, to be able to see that you're in a battle, see where the battle is, and then he's given you authority over that. He has given you everything you need through the Holy Spirit to not only identify it, but to beat it. And then it's our choice to take it from there. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. So we know all these things are true. We know that that statement is true because of the way that chapter eight starts. We call it chapter eight. It's the next paragraph in his letter. But he starts out with this. By the way, chapter eight, Pastor Craig gets to teach next weekend. Uh, Gabe and I will be, we'll be here, um, but Pastor Craig really had it on his heart. I want to teach Romans chapter 8. So come next week and hear that. He's got a great message for it. It's really something that's on his heart. But Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Thou, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, that should get an amen. amen. There is no condemnation. Feel free to throw out an amen anytime you want, by the way. You don't have to wait for a prompt. If you're feeling an amen, throw it out there. We're that kind of church, all right? Hey, this is our promise. This is our promise that the word says that we have victory over sin and death, okay? And eventually we will win that war and we'll be in heaven. We'll be aside from our, from our sinful flesh and we will receive our renewed, pure bodies. We'll be in heaven where there is no sin, but until then... We persevere and we fight that battle here on earth. But we fight it not alone. We fight it with the very truth that Jesus Christ gives us. There is no condemnation. So if you're feeling condemned right now, if you're feeling condemned, it's from the devil. And our response then is to say, okay, I'm feeling condemned. I'm feeling like I'll never win. Father, what do you say? because that's the only way we're gonna receive that truth. So take this response time. As we respond to this message, take this time to seek God's heart, especially those of you who might be feeling some condemnation. You might be feeling like it's hopeless. I've struggled with this my whole life. I've never gotten victory over it and it's just gonna be that way. Take this time, this response time here while we introduce communion and seek God's heart and just ask him 
Lord, I'm feeling condemned over this. I feel like this beats me up every single time and I feel like I'm never gonna kick it. Lord, what do you say? Seek his heart and then ask him. It's okay just to say, okay, you've said I'm gonna beat this. How? Tell me the first thing to do. Remember the word prayer is simply talking to God. That's all it means. Ask him how. We have prayer team in the back who would be more than happy to pray through this with you. If you need just some starters or some help, maybe you've got some healing, something else that's going on in your life, our prayer team would love to partner with you and just help you walk through those things. And then we'll move into communion. Communion we have at the crosses. Uh, we've got juice and bread and crackers and you can serve yourself uh, at both crosses or up here, Gabe and I have, uh, have wine and bread and we would be happy to serve you. But let's do this today. Let's do this today being thankful that through what Jesus Christ did for us, not only are we justified in the eyes of the Father, but we start walking that path and that process of sanctification and we don't walk it alone. He's there with you every day. And then the very last thing, if you're sitting here and you feel the tug like, I wanna renew my baptism. Maybe, maybe you've done it and you want to renew it. Maybe you did it as a child and never as an adult and you want to, you want to proclaim that, that new man. You want to make that public profession of that. You can do that. As Gabe said, we've got some t-shirts, at least a dry shirt to change into. We've got some beach towels. If you want to do that, we'll make a way. After the, after the uh, song here, I'll come up and I'll just ask if anybody wants to. But bring that before God. If that's something you're excited about doing and you want to, we would do that. Now, I'll introduce it later. If somebody wants to, I'll tell you how that's all going to work. But let's move into communion again with just thankful hearts. Amen? Thank you, guys. Oh, 
Holds me 